Good morning. We're going to continue in our character study of the Apostle John. Just by way of review, last week we covered a lot about how John was, at least in his early days, he was one of the sons of thunder. Someone who, even though he was in service for the Lord, he still had a part of him that, part of him that was very ambitious for self and somewhat hot-tempered. The last passage we looked at was with John uh, when he and his brother were asking the Lord if they could sit at his right and his left hand in his glory. And it wasn't for the sake of gaining power or influence or authority. It was just because James and John wanted to be near the Lord to be near the Lord. They had found everything they could have wanted in the person of the Lord Jesus. And as a result of this closest to the Lord, we're going to see a very different character to John today, a different heart in him. Now, this new character in John may not be obvious at first. It's going to come out gradually as we continue in the Scripture. First, let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Just going to read a few verses starting from verse 21. This is where we see John ending up in that place of amazing closeness to the Lord Jesus. This is right after the Lord had just finished washing the feet of his disciples. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. This is where John first begins referring to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, some of them might think, you know, isn't John being a little presumptuous calling himself that, calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? I mean, didn't Jesus love the other disciples too? Now, of course he did. And one thing to remember too, John is not being proud in calling himself this name, calling himself this title. And when looking at the Gospel of John, it's important to look at the fact that it's not just, this is not just a book coming out of John's head. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Scriptures, speaking through John's pen. It's God himself calling John the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, possibly more than any of the other disciples, John was conscious of the Lord's love. And the fact is, John did have a special place of closeness to the Lord. The next time we see John is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord takes him, Peter, and James in the Garden to pray with them. And like Peter and James, he falls asleep. But unlike the rest of the disciples, following the rest of the Lord Jesus in the Garden, 
John is the one disciple who doesn't really leave the Lord. Let's turn to John chapter 18. Starting in verse 15. No, I'm sorry, starting in verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Now, FYI, just in case um, you didn't know, this other disciple who is being spoken of in this passage, that's John. And starting here, we begin to see John having less concern for himself and more concern for others, others around him. Now, as I mentioned last week, John was known to the high priest. But that didn't mean, I don't think that meant that he was necessarily out of danger himself. You know, we see the other, we see the other disciples, they fled for their lives. And that included James who was John's brother, and I don't think there's any reason to think that he may not have been also known to the high priest. John, at this point, however, he's no longer concerned mainly by himself. He's thinking about the Lord. And we see in this passage also he has a real concern for Peter. There's really no reason for him to... He didn't have to ask the servant girl to let Peter in. There was no reason to put himself more at risk by drawing more attention to himself but he felt he had to do something for Peter. And we really see more of this abandonment of self in John as he followed followed the Lord Jesus to the cross. And so at the cross, the Lord makes a request of John that really shows that John really had a heart for the lives of others at this point. Let's turn to John chapter 19. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, why did Jesus put Mary in the care of his disciple John? It's possible Mary may have been a widow at this point. And we hear of Joseph being mentioned during the childhood days of the Lord Jesus, but we don't hear any mention of him during the days of the Lord's ministry. It's possible maybe he died in an early age and Mary was a widow. But then um, 
It's not like Mary was just left abandoned. She had other sons. Jesus had half-brothers. We know this from other passages. Um, I'm just going to read a passage from Luke. This is in chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told, told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and, and do it. So Jesus had brothers, and it doesn't look like they were neglectful of their mother, because in multiple passages we see um, the Lord's brothers with Mary. So why does the Lord entrust Mary to John? Of course, Jesus loved Mary, and because he loved Mary, he wanted to be sure that she was cared for by someone who would love her the most, someone who would love her like he loved her. He saw this kind of heart in John. It's not the first thing that comes to mind when we think of John the Apostle. We think, when we think of the Apostle John, we think of him you know, doing those things that we think of apostles doing. You know, preaching, teaching, planting churches, doing miracles. But in the first thought, we don't think of John being the devoted son to Mary. But I think he probably was a very good son to her. He may have taken care of her for many years. And many of us know it's not always easy caring for someone when they get older. Now, Mary is not mentioned in Scripture beyond this point very much, but it's possible, for all we know, maybe there came a time where she couldn't take care of herself, maybe she couldn't walk. Well, but John was right there for her. In the Gospels and going on to the book of Acts, we see John often mentioned together with Peter. We see them both running to the tomb of the Lord Jesus when they are told that the stone's been rolled away. We see them both together um, at the temple when a lame man is healed. We see them both going to Samaria to pray that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. And yet compared to Peter, um, John does not say much or is not recorded as saying much. And then we look at the book of Acts, you can see um, really a lot of adventures, you could call, that Peter and Paul are involved in, a lot of works they're involved in, but you don't see John involved in a lot of that action. But there's still a lot we can gather about John's character from his writings. Let's turn a little further to, in the Gospel of John to chapter 21. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he, had, he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And we're going to stop there. Now you might wonder, why am I reading just a few verses here where John's not mentioned? I mean, this is a conversation, it looks like, between the Lord and Peter. Now, of course, this is um, really the Lord's talking mainly to Peter in this passage, but we also know that John was nearby, and he was listening to this conversation very carefully because it's recorded here. And we also, we also know that John was listening very carefully because we really see these verses carried out in John's life. They really carry over into the rest of his life. Those commands, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It really talks about investing yourself completely in a person, investing yourself completely. So you want to see someone doing well spiritually. Now, we often think of investing ourselves in our work, maybe even investing ourselves in work for the Lord. But investing yourself in a person, putting all you have in a person so that they're doing well, that's something, that's something that we don't think about every day. Maybe the Lord's given you a chance to lead someone to him. Maybe the Lord's given you a chance to disciple someone. Now, if the Lord puts you in that position, it's like you've been... If the Lord puts you in that position, it's like you've been given a son or daughter in your care, like you've, you've been given a baby. You want to see with all your heart that that person grows into a mature believer, someone really walking with the Lord, growing in the Lord. You so want to see that person do well. You pour all your heart, all your energy into that person's life. You give them all you've got. And it's, it's, it's an expensive investment. And it could be a painful one, too. You might, maybe, perhaps you might see them not walking with the Lord sometime, and it grieves you, and it pains you. You shed some tears. There's someone on your heart that you pray for them all the time. And this is the kind of heart we see in the Apostle John. There was one thing in particular, one thing in his life that made him especially joyful, something that made him joyful more than anything else in his life. We've got to turn to the third epistle of John. See what that is. Starting at verse 1. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What made John rejoice? What made him happy was to hear that 
the believers whom he had ministered to in his life, that they were doing well in the Lord, that they were doing well spiritually, that they were walking with the Lord. You know, his, life, his life was so invested in the lives of others that his own happiness depended on their condition. It's very similar to this verse in 1 Thessalonians. I'm just going to read it to you. Where Paul says, For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And really, this is, this is the heart of the Lord. This is, this is the heart of the Lord Jesus. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. It speaks about pouring himself into the lives of his sheep, into the lives of his saints. And this is what we see John doing. We see John at his last mention in the scriptures alone. Let's turn to the book of Revelation. Looking at verse 9, this is the way that John introduces himself in Revelation. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, Revelation is often dated as being written around the the 90s A.D. So John is very old by this time. He may be in his 80s. And, you know, it could have been very easy for him at this point of his life to have gotten a little depressed, gotten a little discouraged. Because when you think about it, this book was written during a time of great persecution, a lot of trials and tribulations for the saints. Now, John had been through some rough times in his life. He had seen a lot, a lot, you know, a lot of the people that he had co-labored with, a lot of his friends, they were gone by now. You know, James's brother had been killed early on. Uh, Peter had been martyred by now. If we go according to external history, all the other original disciples, they were, they were all gone too. But he was the last of the original apostles. And we know he was an elder, but now here he was, he was separated from the flock of believers that he loved and cared for. And here he was on this little island called Patmos. And what's in Patmos? I looked up on the internet, you know, Patmos is a little tiny island. It's only like 13 square miles. I mean, it's smaller than Union City. Now, John wasn't there by choice. As he says in Revelation, he was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. At some point, John had been, ta- been, had been taken captive for being a witness for the Lord during this time of persecution, and he'd been exiled to this island. But you know, in this exile, you know, rather than engaging in any self-pity, we still see John thinking of others. It's easy for us. We can just label the book of Revelation as being a book about the end times. And it is that, but it's also a book that was written specifically to seven churches by John, some churches that he had on his heart. 
you know, perhaps John, he could not be there in person for the churches who were undergoing persecution, but he could write to them. And so that's what we see him doing. He does all he does. He does all he can to encourage the believers with the promise of the Lord's coming. Just going back a few verses to verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, it's no, there's no book quite like Revelation in the rest of the scriptures. We see things there that we see nowhere else. And it's something that John, that the Lord chose to reveal this to John. I think, I want you to think for a moment of um, the, people you, the people you know in your life. And there are some things that you only show certain people. There's some conversations you only have with certain people. Maybe you have a large circle of friends. Maybe there's a number of people you feel comfortable inviting over your house and sharing a meal with them, having a good time with them. But then there's maybe a deeper level of friends, some people that you confide in more, some people that you tell more personal things to. That's usually a small group of friends. And then there's a really small group of friends. Perhaps there's only one or two of these people that best friend of yours that you tell, tell things that are very close to your heart. The kind of friend that you pour out your heart to when you're in pain or you're, you're in your greatest pain or greatest joy. We see from the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus showed John some incredible things that no one else got to see. And we have it in words right here, but to see what John saw, we really can't imagine. He saw heaven with 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels with p- giving pure, unadulterated worship to the Lord. He saw the great tribulation. He saw God judging the earth in a way that had, in perfect breath had never been revealed before got to see the final victory where the devil was cast into the lake of fire. He saw the great white throne of judgment. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. But we could also see in the book of Revelation, we can also see it as you know, the Lord Jesus coming to comfort John in a special way. As I mentioned before, you know, John had many reasons he could have been sorrowful at this time. But then as he Let's turn to a moment to Revelation chapter 21. Just a few verses here. 
like I said, John had many reasons he could have been sorrowful. But then as he saw the vision of the new Jerusalem, the Lord himself would say in chapter 21, verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for in the former things, for the former things have passed away. And if John had any feelings of being lonely or abandoned, the Lord had this to say to him in chapter twenty two. Turn there for a moment to verse 7. John got to hear it from the Lord himself. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And yet again, just a few verses down, he says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I've spent a good amount of time going over how John was especially close to the Lord Jesus. Now, that being said, I just want to clarify, it's not just to someone like John that the Lord wants to be close to. The Lord wants to be close, wants all his believers close to him. Now, if any of you today wants to make it your aim to be as close to the Lord as possible, the Lord says he's going to honor that. It's a little promise in James, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8. I'm just going to read it to you. The Lord says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's a reciprocal motion there. You know, in itself, it would be just, it's just wonderful. It would just be a wonderful fact if the Lord would just let us approach him. And we don't deserve to approach him, but just the fact that he would allow us to approach him, that in itself would be a wonderful thing. But then it's not only that when the Lord sees someone approaching him, he just stands there and waits for them to come. He says in his word, it's like when he sees someone drawing near to him, he makes that effort to draw near to them. And going back to the Gospel of John, when we see John as that disciple leaning on Jesus' bosom, now the first thought I had on you know, seeing that picture was, you know, it's amazing that the Lord let someone get that close to him. You know, in ourselves, you know, we're just wretched sinners. There's no reason the Lord should want us close to him. But then there's something to look at the flip side also, the fact that John allowed himself to lean on the Lord's bosom. He was comfortable lying on the Lord's bosom. I want you to think about that for a second. How many people are you comfortable doing that? Like, how many, comf- how many people are you comfortable lying on their bosom? How many people are you that close to? And there's not many. You know, most friends are not that close to each other. Some children and their parents are not this close to each other. Even some husbands and their wives are not this close to each other. So how did John get there? How did John get that close to the Lord? It almost sounds too simple, but it's true. He spent a lot of time with him. 
It's just like how you try to get close to anyone. You spend some time with him. You spend time with him. You spend time talking with him. You spend time in his word. You spend time in prayer. And it takes time. And I'm not saying this because I think that I spend enough time with him. I think I know for myself I need to, I need to be spending more time with the Lord. I should be spending more time in prayer, but I don't. And like I said, it takes time. You don't just get to know someone by having a cup of coffee with them one day. Something to ask yourself, you know, how are your, how are your quiet times? You know, are you spending some good quality time with the Lord every day? Or is the Lord getting crowded out of your life? Because, you know, it can be easy to happen. It's easy for the Lord, for us to not leave the Lord too much room in our lives. There's so many things in the world that kind of cloud our senses. We spend so much time on the Internet, on television, on movies. Or perhaps we spend a lot of time and energy in our work. You know, we, well, it's such a long work day, I don't feel like really spending any time with the Lord after work, perhaps. Or I'm so tired that I don't feel like getting up so early in the morning to spend time with him then. It's easy for the Lord to get crowded out of our lives. But the Lord wants to be near us. He wants us to draw near to him. And, you know, it's not just to draw that the Lord wants to reveal great things. The Lord wants to reveal more and more of himself to his believers. And in the process of of drawing near to him, there's some wonderful things that will happen too in the process. We see that happen with John. You're going to have a more Christ-like character. You're going to have the Lord's heart, think other-minded, other-oriented. And the thing is, if you want to have the Lord's heart as John had the Lord's heart, if you want to really be conformed to the image of his son, as it says in Romans 8, I think we went over that. I think I wasn't there for the morning study, but I think that was what Charlie probably went over. If you want to have that kind of heart, it only, clo- it only comes with being nearer to the Lord. We're going to close this being today by uh, seeing number 443 in the Red Book. to him really talking about drawing close and drawing near to the Lord.